Hello and welcome to Publish Me, a monthly podcast series from the AS21 Podcast Network, where we explore the publishing process of the fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. I'm your host, Keith F. Shovlin, publisher and chief creative of AS21, and joining me as always is... Hey everyone, this is Paul Russell, the author of The Will of the Magi. Hope everyone is doing well with this hot, hot summer. Yes, it is hot, because it is July 2016, and this is Chapter 16 of the Publish Me Podcast. This month we will have on guest Bianca Palmazano, a poet and one of the first AS21 creatives. We'll be talking about print-on-demand services. But first, let's get through a bit of the updates. Remember, if you want to reach out to us, you can... Tweet to us at Publish Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Publish Podcast. Email us, Publish Podcast at AS21.com. And, of course, you can find all of our past episodes on media.as21.com. Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and, of course, our YouTube channel. So, now, Paul, it is July 2016. You said last month you were so close. You are only a couple chapters away from being done with writing The Will of the Magi. Are you going to disappoint me, Paul? A little bit. Oh, Paul. I have the epilogue to write. Okay. And maybe half to two-thirds of the final chapter. Okay. Someone died who I didn't plan on dying. Was it Prince? Because we were all affected by the it death of Prince. It was Prince. <laughs> there was some purple rain that came down, and Prince died, and it became a real problem from my end, because I didn't plan on Prince dying. I needed him to last a little bit longer. Well, I mean, 2016 has just been a pretty awful year as far as, like, really gut-wrenching deaths. And, like, come at, on. At this point, we need to stop having George R. R. Martin write the 20th <laughs> <laughs> Because it's getting bad. Yeah. Yeah. He's taking, you know, again, Martin, stop taking away all the people we like and get rid of the people we don't like. I'm not mentioning any names, but there are lots of people who I don't like who you can have. You know, let me keep a couple of them. No, I just think, no, I could think of some people that we wouldn't, we would miss, but we wouldn't miss. Okay, so you got about half of the final chapter done, and uh, yep. and you still got to do the epilogue. That is pretty good, man. Yeah, it's I've I've reached that point where it, the problem. I think I'm not sure about other authors because I think this is the part that no one talks about. But I like talking about problems because it's all I have in my life. <laughs> but you have a few. Yeah, I have a few, just one or two hundred. But <laughs> gotten to the point where I'm trying to finish. But I don't want to finish, because I don't want to go on to the next one, but I want to go on to the next one, but I don't want to go on to the next one. Anyone else who's ever experienced this, hit us up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, we just, Stephen King and George R. R. Martin had that interview. Yes. And where they talk about, like, how many words they write a day, you know, everything. And, yeah, I'm experiencing a George R. R. Martin kind of month right now, and not, I need a Stephen King kind of month. Yeah, it was an interview that Martin was actually interviewing King and allowing uh, the, the audience to interview him. And then finally, Martin turned to King and said, how the F do you write so fast? <laughs> and King, it turns out, can write six pages a day. And that's how he's able to write a couple books a year. Well, Martin, of course, has been spending years on one book, so. Right. Yeah. I will say that I did, I was able for a couple of days able to meet the 10,000 words a day quota. Oh, I was able to do that for a week in like January. So 
I'm trying to get that back because that's also what like Stephen King and Anne Rice write. Robert Jordan, when he was alive, that's what he used to write. But mm-hmm. I try and reach that point, but it's like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you are kind of handicapped by your own imagination at times when you're writing fantasy, so. Yeah, problems. And, and sometimes you just need a good night's sleep or maybe a, a meal or something before you can really get the creative juices flowing on some of those things, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyone who has any recommendations as to be, you know, transform someone from a Martin to a King, <laughs> hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on our Gmail account, hit us up on Twitter, and let's see what you got. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, please send in your tips, your thoughts, your concerns, your chastisements, and angry email to Paul. <laughs> I like angry emails. They make me laugh. He's not on Twitter himself, so just go ahead and send it to at Publish Podcast on Twitter, and I'll make sure it gets to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is the July 2016 edition, Chapter 16. And this month, we will be discussing print-on-demand services. Now, the reason I bring up this specific topic, because it being 2016, the publishing industry has gone through dramatic shifts over the past decade away from the traditional publishing model and obviously if you're listening to this and you follow AS21 at all you obviously believe in the death of a traditional publishing model because that's what we're all about here at AS21 but one of the ways that people are moving away and being able to be so successful self-publishing or doing their own independent publishing companies is because of these print-on-demand services because you don't have to order 10,000 copies of a book at a time and have thousands of dollars to put into a first printing you can get one printed and it gets distributed everywhere so specifically just to give a quick definition before we bring on our guest from that encyclopedia of the world wikipedia print on demand is a printing technology and business process in which copies of a book or other document are not printed until an order has been received allowing books to be printed singly or in small quantities. While build-to-order has been an established business model in many other industries, print-on-demand developed only after digital printing began because it was not economical to print single copies using traditional printing technology, such as letterpress and offset printing. So basically, you can blame the rise of print-on-demand on the development of the bigger, better copy machine. <laughs> so now, for this month's episode, we are very honored to have on one of the first AS21 creatives, poet Bianca Palmazano, who originally self-published her debut poetry collection, The Empty Spaces, through the CreateSpace print-on-demand service offered by Amazon. So welcome, Bianca. Hi, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on. Welcome. Now, uh, we are, all three of us are actually veterans of the print-on-demand Uprising, Bianca with CreateSpace, and Paul and I both have a background of using Lulu.com. And of course, those aren't the only print-on-demand services out there. Those just seem to be the biggest ones, though one service called BookBaby claims to be the largest in the world, but I never heard of it up until a couple weeks ago. So, so Bianca, what brought you to use CreateSpace in the first place? So I chose CreateSpace based on a recommendation from a a family member of mine who had also self-published. And she said that CreateSpace was very user-friendly and it was an easy, smooth process. And I knew that I did not have the capacity or the connections to use a traditional publishing 
route to get my stuff out there because as you've talked about you know the the death of the traditional pr- publishing model is is upon us um and it definitely didn't work for me so i was very the idea of publishing online and being able to print really small batches was very appealing and um i'd heard good things about create space so i figured it was worth at least getting an account and seeing how the setup worked and if i liked it then i would go to print and if i didn't like it well no harm no foul it was a free sign up and i didn't lose anything so did did the person's advice hold true was it easy for you to use it very much was. Um, the great thing about CreateSpace is it takes you step by step through the process of publishing. So it will create the ISBN number for you. It will give you uh, formatting tools for your manuscript and also for your cover art. It'll give you uh, options for where to what your publishing streams are. So whether you want to take it to Amazon, whether you want it to be hosted exclusively on CreateSpace, so where people can find your book. It it just takes you through each of these options one at a time for pieces of the publishing puzzle that I wouldn't have even thought of as an author. You know, our specialty is writing the good stuff that goes inside the covers, but uh, getting it to print is a lot more complicated than that. And so I appreciated the way that CreateSpace took you through that process in a really easy to manage way. Paul, do you have any questions for her? Not at the moment, no. <laughs> um, you're, she's really describing the process as I experienced it with Lulu. Although, you know, so... It's a very similar process with Lulu, except, you know, Lulu, I'm not as much of a fan of them, I'm guessing, as you are sounding with the Create Space program. Uh, I mean, there are pluses and minuses, so I'm, I'm interested to hear about your experience. All right. I mean, with Keith and I, we both use Lulu, and last time I used Lulu was in 2006 to create an anthology of short stories and poetry I wrote in high school, so at this point it's all absolute garbage and I never want to see it ever again. <laughs> but there are still copies out there. Ah, uh, uh, but it's alive on the internet forever. <laughs> I know. I can still go, or I, I, I have occasionally had to go order odd copies for friends and family who was like, you wrote a book! When can I get a copy of it? Yeah, sure, let me spend ten bucks on that book for you. So, I mean, it costs you ten bucks per book? To yeah. buy your own book? <sighs> yeah. How, how big Ooh. was it? 56 pages. What? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I, no. I wrote a 200-page novel, and it cost me $8 to get one printed up. Why is it costing you 10 for a 56-page book? Ah. <laughs> Did you use, like, really nice paper or something? Because that was my biggest... That's something I wouldn't have done the same way again. I was like... People are not going to spend a lot of money on this book, so I want to keep the cost per copy as low as possible. So I used really cruddy paper mm-hmm. and like really basic level, um, you know, printing services and pages, what have you. And like it looks like what you paid for, you know. It's right. I, the poetry is lovely, you know, whatever. But the product doesn't. It's not. It doesn't have the. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The the gravity of of a real poetry book. Gravitas. Yeah, the, the Gravitas, gravitas yes. yes. Um, I was so close. <laughs> so close. That, yes, that's, I think that is one of the issues I did. I did use 
slightly nicer paper. Mm. Um, so well, Lulu doesn't really give you a choice on it. It's more, yeah. they, it's all perfect bound for them. It's all a certain thickness of paper. I mean, they uh-huh. they keep their costs low by giving you less choices on some of those things. Yeah. But I you- will also say, I didn't plan all this stuff out. Being an uh, 18-year-old in college at the time, I had my mother do it. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing mom under the bus. I love my mother, except, you know, she has higher standards than I do in (laughs) all areas, so yes. Oh, okay, so so it's her fault, okay. Just, you know, with all these things about the print-on-demand service, I will say that I love the fact with print-on-demand that I can send a link off to a friend of mine or whoever, and they can just order it and have it shipped to them. Mm Mm-hmm. For that exact reason, I happen to know for a fact that I have a couple copies of my book that are outside the U.S. Nice. Because I have friends outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. I know I have uh, two copies in uh, Russia, one in Hungary, and one in China okay. via friends and family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, seeing that little blip up on my radar, I was always like, yay, international seller. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like you can – I like being able to say that to people. It's like, I've sold my book internationally. One copy here or there, I, you know. Yeah. It still counts. It yeah. still counts. Absolutely. I mean, that's it's all money, about. man. It's all money. That's one thing I like about, you know, print-on-demand selling. Yes. And I think that's a very universal feeling. You know, I have a friend who just launched a sex toy company, and his Facebook post was, you know, I just shipped a dildo to Austria today. And, you know, it's exciting. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's exciting. Oh, Absolutely. Not many people get to say that. Absolutely, <laughs> and it, it's the beginning of the month, so it's due, I'm due for checking the uh, the statistics on sales for AS21. But it's always nice when I see rupees or you know dineros or you know another currency added up as far as purchasing some of the AS21 titles. You know, making it worldwide available. It's nice. I will so, say it's a nice thing. Yeah, they're all English language, so yeah. Good luck. Hopefully, <laughs> you understand English. Otherwise, a lot of the poetry will go right over your head. So, yeah. well, have you ever seen some of like the poetry you've written translated into oh. other languages? Yeah. No, I've never seen it translated. God, oh gosh, I can't even imagine what that would be like. I remember doing exercises translating Rilke from its original Germany in in school, and that was just such a an intense emotional process. I was like, what does Rilke mean? How do I know? I don't speak German. I don't know what this is. And there's so much subjectivity in translation. It would it would be really fascinating to see someone try and take it into another language, but I would say ooh. that as an author, especially as a poet, get some friends who speak I would my personal recommendations are Hungarian and Russian. Mm. Get some people, get some friends with those languages and have them translate. And then, you know, see if you can add those into the next book that you do in this fashion. Because it can be hilarious, especially (laughs) when they try and translate them back into English for some very odd reason. Because it never directly translates back. Of course not. Of course not. Because the, the languages don't exactly line up, I mean. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Anyway. That's the way it goes. But, Okay. So, quick question for you, Bianca. Have you you've been to politics and prose in D.C. Right? Of course, yes. Have Great you, shot. Have you seen the espresso? There, the Opus. There, the espresso book printing machine. Oh yes, I have. I was like, I've seen lots of espresso. Is politics and prose like <laughs> yes. they make a really good cup of it or something? No, no, no. I've seen the. I have seen the printing press. Yes. yes. 
that is essentially what powers these print-on-demand services. Because what they, at least the one I've seen in the politics and prose, which they, they have set up there, you can go in and any book that's on their database or Google Books or whichever you're using, you just search for it and they'll print it for you right there. And you pay basically the cost of printing the book. So that's essentially what's powering most of these print-on-demand services because they don't have to do the big runs of paper. And in fact, at the Gaithersburg Book Festival this past May, I was approached by a representative from Towson University, north of Baltimore, just launched their own print-on-demand service. And the guy was just telling me, yeah, we just have an espresso machine. <laughs> so that, that's all they do is they, you contract with them and they charge a, a, a like, it was like nine cents per page or no, it's got to be more than that. It's. I would say that's a lot less than Kinko's, so. Yes. Yeah, but uh, it's like a set price per page, and then you pay a price for the cover. And there's they have a $35 setup fee. But that's a smaller press run out of the bookstore at a Towson University. So you can expect there to be some more cost there. Compared to CreateSpace, backed by Amazon, which seems to have no problem throwing money at anything. <laughs> I mean, how else do you explain the purchase of the Washington Post? Uh, <laughs> yeah, scalability is not not an issue for Amazon. Well, they purposefully run their company so that they do not make a profit, which is both admirable and maddening. <laughs> so All things will be Amazon shortly. Or Google. Either yeah. one. one will purchase the other in the next decade. Well, if I remember correctly, didn't Yahoo have a chance to purchase both? No, Yahoo no. had a chance to purchase Google and a chance to purchase Facebook and decided against both. Which, thank God, because Yahoo ruins everything. Oh, no, they, they have, they've made or Tumblr Flickr. worse. Can we have a moment of silence for Flickr? Oh, yes. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Give us... <laughs> And in five minutes, another nerd like us will create a new one. It will hit big, oh, we and got then it will sell out to the next big company for a couple hundred million dollars. Which, more power to them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Flickr died, and then we got Instagram, which Facebook bought. Then we got Snapchat. and One of the three of us has to get working on that. Hey, I, I'm I not going to leave that to one of you two. I, the tech side is not my friend. Hey, uh, who's the one who started his own publishing company and, oh, and, and a go. podcasting network out of it? So you're gonna leave that to you, Keith. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing. You don't I have can. enough to do. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Just the full time job, two kids, and I just bought a house. You know, little things. Little things. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but so there. So that's the smaller type press in Towson, and with their espresso machine, then. There's the larger ones. There's Lulu. There's CreateSpace. There's Book Baby. I know in here in Virginia we have Global Printing, which is actually the printer who did the first AS21 annual, mm. has a print-on-demand service set up. And then of course there's what should be the king of them all is Ingram Spark. Now Ingram Spark is a offshoot of Ingram Imprint, which is basically the registry of every book that is for sale in every bookstore in the United States. If you want your book to get on the shelves of Barnes & Noble, you have to be registered with Ingram. If you want it in, if you could find a book some million, the only way to get yeah. on them is if you're an Ingram. And a lot of independent bookstores 
only work with Ingram because of the fact it costs a lot once you get into Ingram, but it's a very important thing. So Ingram decided that they needed to be both bigger and smaller, so they launched Ingram Spark, which is just for working with independent publishers like us, AS21. And then within Ingram Spark, they built their own print-on-demand service so that you can upload books to their system and then they will do the print-on-demand on order for anyone who wants to buy the book from any of their vast web of book stores across the country and I think even even beyond the United States borders. Not quite sure. I haven't looked at it closely. I know in the UK it's Nielsen Book Data is the one you work with and they don't have a print-on-demand service yet and I don't think they're going to be getting one anytime soon. Thanks a lot, Brexit. Uh, <laughs> uh Brexit. Uh. Yeah. So... Now a quick sponsorship message. This episode is sponsored by Intimate Health Consulting. Happy, sexy, healthy. If you're a healthcare professional looking for support, education, or training around sexual health or minority health, you should get in touch today. We do customized trainings, mentorship programs, and clinical observation to help professionals work on addressing STIs, birth control, safer sex, and sexual dysfunction in clinical environments. Intimate Health Consulting. www.intimatehealthconsulting.com. All right. So now, of course, my own experience with working with Lulu, back in 2010, I published Polk Soliloquy through it, and I used one of their publishing packages, so I had to pay about $300 set up, and, and they did an editing. They helped me with setup. I did my own cover design, and they supplied the ISBN. Of course, if you want to buy an ISBN by yourself, that's $125. If you are ambitious and feel you're going to write 10 books, the price goes down considerably the more ISBNs you buy. Such Ooh. as like after the first successful Kickstarter for AS21, we were able to buy 100 ISBNs for $500. Hmm. So, yeah, $5 per ISBN per one for 125 So you, that, that definitely is a little bit of a... Discrimination against self-publishers. Say economies of scale are still at play. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that's really interesting though because CreateSpace definitely includes the ISBN as part of the publishing process. You didn't have to purchase it separately. Yeah. So they definitely lost money on me in that (laughs) way. But well, with Lulu, they if you do a publishing package, they include it. But if you didn't do a publishing package, it's a 99 bucks to buy it mm. through them. So there's a slight discount there. Okay. So when I did it, I bought it through them. They did that setup. They helped me with, I had the cover design. They helped me with that. It worked out to my 224 page novel and a six by nine trade paperback size, perfect bound white paper with a glossy cover. And it came out to $8.98 per book to be printed. Mm. And, of course, they have discounts for the more you order. So if you order 15 at a time, they drop, like, 10% off the cost. Then, of course, there's the cost of shipping. But So that's how I got started in publishing way back in, you know, the age-old time of 2010. <laughs> I would say, so the interesting thing about this is, you know, we've got perspectives from a a couple of different time periods along the spectrum of self-publishing, too. So, Paula, you said 2006, and then uh, Keith, yours was 2010, and then I put mine out through CreateSpace in 2013. 
13 right mm -hmm. at the top of the year, I believe. Right. And I actually, one of the things that CreateSpace also does is you can get an author's copy. So um, you can, so I would have the sale price, you know, my book sells for $8.24, what have you, on the website for any schmo that has the link can, can go and buy it. But I can get the copy at cost. Right. So that's at, you know, three or four dollars a book. So I could buy, and what I did do is I bought about 30 copies and I, you know, saved the shipping by shipping in bulk and I could then sell those copies individually and have them with me when I was going to events and things like that. Right. And I could tell you from experience talking with a couple of our other creatives, Philip Sipkov and Sheila Bowler, Sheila actually worked with Lulu back in 1998. Whoa. When she first published What This Black Woman Knows. And at that point, she only had like two copies made. And it cost her about 10 to 15 bucks for a 33-page book. Ooh. And then she redid it in 2005, and that cut the cross a little bit. Phil had his first two books, Early Thoughts <laughs> of a Young Man and Escape from Destiny, printed by a local DC printer. And that was a car. And he was selling those pamphlets for like 99 cents a piece, but he was getting, it was costing him like two, three bucks a piece to get them printed. Wow. But that's in the early 80s. So, right. and that's because you would, he would need to get a bunch printed at a time in order to make it worthwhile for the printer to do the run. And in our experience with Ace 21, when we've done printings of Pockets or the Ace 21 Annual or the First Prophetical or uh, any of the other books that we've released, when you work with a printer, the larger the run, the, it's the whole economies of scale. They, the more they run, the, the less cost per individual item. And it's at a greater decline than you would with a print on demand service. Like if you, if you ordered a hundred copies from print on demand, there would be a substantial savings than if you ordered them a hundred separately. But it wouldn't be at the same rate as if you were to do a print run from a local printer, Minuteman, or any any ones that might be local to you. But it's the the cost up front right. that is really holding a lot of self-publishers back. It would be interesting to see the price comparison for these services based on what we each individually pay, and then being able to compare it to the major publishers, you know, Penguin House, Tor all of them, you know, when they do, you know, a 25,000 book printing or whatever it is that they do, and then seeing just like what what it is that they, you know, pay per book copy. Yeah. Oh, I don't think you want to know that. Yeah, I think know, that would just make everybody really sad. That plus they will never share that information because well, they don't want that out there. Absolutely. I mean, I'm also slightly masochistic, so I would love ah. uh, information so, so I can make myself cry. Well, of course you're a masochist, Paul. You're a writer. Yes. We're all masochists. Yeah. <laughs> we love beating ourselves up. <laughs> well, we do a better job of it than anyone else ever could. Absolutely. That's how you know if, you, if you're not a masochist, you really probably shouldn't be a self-published author because I just have no faith in your book being any good. <laughs> <laughs> we just write garbage. It's absolute garbage all the time, garbage. No, no, it's just no, the understanding that you have to be so incredibly self-critical. Yeah. So. And I mean, ready to do that revision process over and over and over again. You know, the first... Who was it that said, like, all all good writing is rewriting? Uh, so... It's it's a uh, it's that process of just saying like okay here's this giant this opus that I've created 
and it's all terrible. And now I have to go go through and gut it and remake it and and see if something beautiful comes out. And then you step back and you're like, well, this is better, but it's still not beautiful. And over and over and over again until you have something you're actually proud of. Uh. According to a search, all good writing is rewriting is attributed to a prairie home companion. No, it's not. Uh, what? It's Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway. Doing? Okay, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> PrairieHome.org used it in January 2012, and that was the third one that came up on my search here. <laughs> uh, are you searching, God, actual... are you searching <laughs> with Bing or something? Oh, no, God, no. It's also given to a professor of English at the University of New Hampshire, Donald M. Murray, also claims that quote. So, huh. Yeah. Well, Mr. Murray, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone wants to claim it, I guess. It's a good mm. quote. It's a good quote. Yeah, so. true. Absolutely. So... Okay. But yeah, so obviously you take it all in your hands when you use a print-on-demand service, and you're going to make mistakes. Paul, what was your biggest mistake when you worked with Lulu? Oh, God. Um... (laughs) (laughs) That starts well. (laughs) That was my internal narration, too, so I appreciate appreciate it. I don't know. I I definitely remember there were a bunch of, like, extra little things we paid for. I think... The things I did wrong that we did wrong, I think I'm not going to even bother listing. The one thing I think I did we did right was the fact that we did pay that so it would be available online on certain distributors, like Amazon, like Barnes and Nobles, and it it was available on Borders.com. And then that died. Did we do a moment of silence for Borders? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. That's all enough. This is a very somber podcast. <laughs> well, it is a publishing podcast. I mean, that's it real. happens. We have never done moments of silence before, Keith. So we have okay, to that's true. That's true. Okay, maybe it's just me. Yeah. No. No. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's, no you blame it on 2016. It's 2016. Yeah, that's this real. Too somber. George R. R. Martin, stop it. <laughs> all right, so Bianca, your mistakes. <laughs> so I probably should have looked anywhere uh, on Amazon, on CreateSpace, in a library to see the fact that there are other people who use the title The Empty Spaces. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people. Yeah. So, <laughs> when you go and you search my book online, there are a number of titles that come up before mine because The Empty Spaces was actually a particularly popular title to use and they will rank them obviously by popularity so if there's a bestseller out there that has the same title as you you're going to get bumped down on the search results and you know that ranking really determines a lot of your sales when it comes to people who aren't already familiar with your work you know your mom will search to page two or three to be like oh no that's bianca's book but uh you know new customers, people who aren't familiar with you and your brand, they really need to have it easily accessible. So that was definitely my biggest mistake. Well, I can tell you, I just did the monthly Google hits check for AS21 titles and authors and everything, and Empty Space is coming at 436,000 hits. Hey! And I'm not sure what page you first showed up on, but hopefully it was towards the top. (laughs) See, that's one thing I did with Polk Soliloquy. I had a unique title. The problem I was saying, is, there's no other books with that name. No. That's very unique. But the problem is, people think it's about President Polk. 
And that is true. It's not. It's a the main character is named after him, which was my homage. But yeah, people get confused, which is which fine. like. To be fair, when I first heard about this book, I was really excited because I love President Polk, and I was like, nobody ever writes about him. So, <laughs> oh, there's some good books on him out there. Yeah, it was a case of he is my favorite. One of my well, by, he is. I mean, of course, you have the best presidents, and he, I, I include him up there. Mm. And so this was my way of making sure I honored him, and I put it right there in the beginning of the book explaining who he was and why the main character is named after him. It's a case of, it's a, the the son of a high school history teacher and his, his, uh, his name is, his Polk. His brothers are Jefferson and Truman and his what? sister Madison. Oh my gosh. And the father's name is John Adams Faustin. So. Okay then. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, I continued the thing with going with my second book, Life's Penance, the main character's name's Lincoln. <laughs> can you can you write a third book and have have a character named Barack? Because I want to yeah. see that. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm working on my next books. In fact, actually, the next book has a character named Barack. Hey. It, it, uh, his full name is Barack Obama, actually. And it, it, is it he, like actually about President Barack Obama, is, yeah. or this is another like curveball thing going well, on? No, it's a alternative history of the 2008 election. Oh, basically the story. It's called Andy for President. It's a guy named Andy Sawyer who decides to who's a unemployed guy in New Hampshire who decides to run for president in 2008. Mm -hmm. And you know gets right into the scrum between Hillary and Obama and John Edwards and Bill Richardson and all those fun people. Wow. Uh, that so, sounds fun. Yeah. I, I've been working on it for <laughs> six years. Woo! Uh, once I get to finishing it, we'll see. That that's the second book in the Millennial Row series that I'm hoping to finish sometime. So. I'm finding deadlines to be helpful because I wasn't even considering putting my poetry into a second volume, but then suddenly I had a deadline and the manuscript is already like outfitted and going to several rounds of editing. So, yay! Woohoo! Oh, no, shoot, we haven't announced that yet, but okay. <laughs> Whoops! Well, no, it's, all, all we need is a synopsis and we can make an announcement there. But. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the Publish Me podcast, you just got a sneak preview. So, and of course, me looking back at my experience with Lulu, I pretty much, I, I probably shouldn't have done the publishing package because I did my own cover design and I did my own layout and I had two or three editors that were helping me. So I didn't need their editorial review. In fact, they did their editorial review and sent it back to me and gave me a sheet and said, you can find, you can get up to 10 things fixed. Anything beyond that is an extra charge. I had to fix 10 mistakes they made in formatting my manuscript. I oh. used almost all of my 10 fixes to fix their mistakes. So, and then of course, my, my, uh, the best editor I know, uh, my good friend Corey Parker, who is now Ace 21's editor-in-chief, was at the time out of country, so unable to review the book before I sent it off. And it's it shows. Mm. You know, there are errors in there that I would, he would have caught, and I probably would have caught if I would have paid more attention to it. But that was my mistake. I mean, for paying to do a package 
that includes cover design and then you do your own cover design, you're, you're throwing money away. Thankfully, it was only about $300 back then. I looked back a couple years later and it was, it had doubled in price. So that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, that was, that was a difficult part, but a part I wouldn't change about my editing process. I did my own cover design. Um, and I have an amazing photographer friend, Dave Miles, who shot the front and back cover photo and did all the formatting for me and it looks beautiful it took a little while to get it just right because you have to make sure since it's a flat design mm -hmm. to get the, the width of the spine correct and that's when you've got a thin book especially with like really thin pages that is a question of a millimeter or two can make a big difference but I was super happy with the results, and I don't think I could have gotten that from a publishing package with some kind of canned artwork right. that that the company would have put together. So. Oh, yeah, because uh, we had on the podcast a few months ago Ian Roberts, who is now hosting his own podcast, the the world's only podcast, which had the best episode come out this past week. He, he worked with CreateSpace himself, and he used one of their canned cover designs, and he said that he's okay with it, but he wouldn't mind doing something different. Then, of course, you have uh, Dr. Deepan Chatterjee with his book, The First Prophetical. His initial run with Amazon, he had his own cover design, but he took their thoughts on the size. So he's got an 8.5 by 11 size booklet of poetry, so it's only like 20 pages thick. Mm. And it's huge. So when we did a, a second printing last spring with a local printer. I think I can't remember which printer we used for that one right now. We did we shrunk it down to trade paperback size, six by nine. Mm. And it, it it almost doubled the thickness and made it a lot easier to work with. But he had his own unique cover design on that one. So pretty much it's what you bring to it will influence a lot what you get out of it. And if you have your own good ideas for cover design you don't need to use their stock covers, obviously, and you don't need to pay a lot of money to get it set up. I mean, if you want to support a local business, like a local printer that does print on demand, or a university press like Towson in Baltimore, then go for it. I mean, it, it's your money. I mean, it's all... It, it, I mean, your book is your art. So it's how much are you willing to pay to make it real? I mean, you... Just understand that paying more does not necessarily mean a better product in the end. Sadly. Yeah. I, I know after a couple of years of working with Lulu, they emailed me to say that they are now offering hardcover books. I said, oh, fantastic. I can get Pulse Delivery as a hardcover. Then they told me it would be $19 per copy to get printed in a hardcover. Of course, that extremely thickened the book. And even though I had a very specific designed spine for the paperback when they redid the spine for the dust cover on the hardback they turned it to like aerial size eight font oh. it looked god awful and then when you actually take off a dust cover and it's the the black buckram with the gold lettering and it's okay it's not nearly as nice as i would have done it if i would have had the input on it but you know it was a new thing they were offering free setup and you know all i had to do was order it so at this point i've only ordered two copies in hardcover because mm. at 19 dollars each that's kind of crazy 
especially mm. since well, I was selling them for 16 bucks a piece in print in paperback. So, and I, would, I didn't feel right increasing the price a huge amount going to hardcover. So I'm selling it for 23 at hardcover, but it only it costs 19 to print. So, yeah, which is another way that the traditional publishing industry has been turned over. Usually, you start in hardcover and then go to paperback. So now it's people are starting an ebook and then going to paperback, and then if they feel like spending the money, hardcover. There are a couple authors who I read these days who have done that ebook to paperback route. Oh, yeah. So, and they've done well with it so far. So, oh, yeah. uh, but, Andy Ware, author of The Martian. Yep. Ebook to paperback route, and oh. he's done very, very well with it. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and from AS Twenty One, James D. King. His first book, High First Contact, will soon be available in paperback as actually print on demand through Lulu. So we're going to be reviewing the proof soon, and then we'll be moving along with production of that. So, Yay. Yay. And in that case, now going by my experience, when we went to Lulu this time, no publishing package, no setup fee, just gave us a price for how much it would cost to print. And that way we're saving a lot of money because we've done so much of it already. We already have the cover art, the beautiful cover art by British designer Matt Sadler. We already had everything formatted properly. I mean, it was nothing to be able to set it up with Lulu, so. There you go. Okay. So, final thoughts on using print-on-demand services. Final advice, wisdom, warnings. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. No, 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 we're not going to tell them not to do it because (laughs) it's what's next. Yes, that's true. It's what's keeping print books alive right now. And print books are doing very well. I would just say, you know, it's a great place to start. It's a hustle. It is, you know, because just because you have a print copy of a book available doesn't mean it just sells itself. You know, you still really do have to go out and push the book and do the advertising. But it's very satisfying to be able to have a hard copy. And there are a lot of people who want that. So it's it's really a worthwhile stream to invest in. And I in doing it through CreateSpace, I paid no money up front. So you can absolutely do that. Uh, it takes a little bit more time and you gotta put a little bit more elbow grease into it. But if you are low on capital, but heavy on time and gumption, then that's what you want. You, you want print on demand services like this. You can make of it, it's, it's like he said, you know, what you get out of it, what you put into it. So if you, if you have the energy for it, then, then you can get something really great. And if not, it's very low risk to try something and see if it works. I love the word gumption. It's a great word. It is. All right, Paul, any last thoughts, warnings, wisdom? Again, yeah, what you put into it is what you get. I have to say, you know, I, you know, as we've been saying, I agree with the fact that print on demand has been saving the printed book. Uh, I will also say that it is also part of the thing that's killing the book industry as well, in my opinion, because it is so easy for people to make books. We get pieces of absolute garbage like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey that come out. Those were done by actual respectable printing houses. (laughs) I know, and you see how horrible they are. What is that? If If a... respectable stand-up place can do that kind of garbage. What kind of garbage is the independent industry doing? You know? 
again, you know, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, so many authors can write their books now, but so many authors shouldn't be writing their books now. And I think that's, you know, that, that one little critique we all have in the back of our head is, you write absolute don't bother publishing this. Don't inflict this upon the poor world. Yeah. Keep it in their own back of your mind in your back drawer and don't do that. We all have that voice and, you know, there is a point where you should not listen to it or you should listen to it. And with print on demand, no one listens to that voice anymore. Well, no one has to listen to that voice anymore. And they should. And it's they tough should. though, you know, because I feel like the people who are most likely to to discount themselves and to say, oh, this isn't good enough to publish are really the people that should be going for it and really right. trying mm-hmm. to pursue those opportunities. I mean, the real, the only reason I ever bothered to publish mine was because uh, it's kind of that exact phenomenon. My father was like, I have a, a friend who put out a, a book of poetry and it's just atrocious. And I feel like if he can publish something, then well, gosh, anybody can. And I'm, and I thought to myself, you know, maybe my, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not E.E. E. Cummings or, or what have you, but you know, I have some good things to say. And it, it was setting the threshold a little bit lower for myself to say, you know, it is worth pursuing this. It is worth getting my words out there and seeing if there are bites. So, you know, I don't want to crush anybody's dreams who are authors that already have kind of shaky confidence saying, oh, I don't know if, if I'm good enough to do this thing. You know, sometimes you just need to put it out there and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. But, I don't know. That's the social worker in me that just wants to nourish and, like, care for people. <laughs> I work with children. I crush dreams on a daily basis. I'm good. Oh. <laughs> you guys are just, like, the polar opposite here. It's fantastic. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you, Bianca, for joining us. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been great. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Once again, if you want to reach out to us. You can email us, publishpodcast at as21.com, on Twitter at publishpodcast, facebook.com slash publishpodcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, YouTube, and Podomatic. And, of course, our home on the web, media.as21.com. Bianca, where can people find you? You can find me on intimatehealthconsulting.com, which is the uh, website for my consulting company, which specifically does training and education and mentorship for healthcare professionals and people in the helping professions, so social workers, case managers, all of that good stuff, who want to advance their knowledge of sexual health and of minority health. So if you want to figure out how to work better with LGBT people, with sex workers, with survivors of trauma, if you want to learn how to talk about birth control, STIs, taking sexual histories, all of that good stuff, uh, that's when I'm not writing beautiful poetry. That is my that is my day hustle, and you should check it out. I've got a free ebook also available on there uh, where you can find out about the case for sexual health across medical disciplines. And uh, you can contact me online at, my Twitter handle is at fun size sex ed with all these underscores in the middle of it. And uh, you can get me by email at Bianca at intimatehealthconsulting.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash, you guessed it, intimate health consulting. Okay. So thank you, Bianca. Now, next month, 
It will be just me and Paul, and we will be discussing... Paul, you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Storyline resolution. Oh. Oh. I, I'm expecting a, a little bit of a... Uh... The, the pressure is <laughs> on, Paul. Paul, oh, that's what I'm hearing. Finish like... <laughs> I've been... That's, that's what I say to myself when I go to sleep. <laughs> Finish the book or you don't wake up in the morning. Finish the book or you don't wake up in the morning. Oh, see, I'm not going to go that far. I would say that is a terrifying deal to make with the devil. Yeah. The cat's been saying it and the cat has been needing pillows. <laughs> I need to get working on this. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right, the cat's working for me now, I see. <laughs> no, you're working for her. No. <laughs> I got my own cat here that I work for, so <laughs> uh, maybe I, we all just work for the international cat mafia. I don't know. That makes sense. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So see you next month. We'll be discussing storyline resolution and just me and Paul. And once again, reach out to us, like us, share us, review us, get, tell us how you feel, tell us what you want to know, share your advice for Paul on helping him get to the finish line. Because he is, oh, so close. So close. So close. <laughs> All right. For AS21 Publishing, I am Keith F. Shovelin. And everyone, I'm Paul Dickinson Russell, author of Will the Magi. Please remember, where there are thoughts and ideas, there are stories. We'll see you next month, and hopefully... I'll be done. <laughs> Ciao, everybody. <laughs> Copyright 2016, AS21 Publishing, LLC, all rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. What do you want your book to be?